Hey everybody, welcome to a special Friday bonus episode of Life After the Crown. Appreciate you joining us today. I've got somebody who I've already had on the podcast before, Lisa Wilson. She was Miss Georgia USA 2006, also a a very good television host, a great actress, a great singer. I mean, she's really a a renaissance woman, uh, at at the very least is what I would call her. And uh, Lisa, it's great to have you back on. How the heck are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on, Tim. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I have a lot we're just going to kind of jump into today that is not really specifically pageant related, but I think it's very relevant to the pageant community and to all of you who listen to this podcast on a normal basis. But uh, before we get into all that, I do want to update you on what Lisa has going on. So if you've listened to her previous podcast, and I know many of you have, um, you'll know that she's been uh, very successful in on-camera projects and acting, and she uh, lives in Atlanta, which is obviously a very bustling community in terms of kind of being the uh, second city to Hollywood at this point, and there's so much work down there right now. So um, tell everybody what you've been doing and how you've been able to grow just since the last time that we had our podcast, which was probably, I think, about a year and a half ago is when we did our interview for that one. But I know you've grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, uh, the last year and a half has been amazing. It's just been exponential growth that I couldn't have anticipated. I definitely hoped for, but it turned out to be 2019 turned out to be one of the best years that I've had in my career ever. Um, I, I know that I was saying in the last podcast how I was hoping to really transition from being in this space of, of really being a host and um, that being the focus and the thing that I was known for and transitioning into being more of an actress that was that was just working on these exciting projects, everything that's coming to Atlanta. And in Atlanta, we are actually the largest city for production in the United States and in the world. Shockingly enough, we have more production here than anywhere, even L.A. And and so I wanted to be a part of all that. So I ended up starting to book a couple of shows at the end of 2018. And I had, one of the first ones that I booked was Doom Patrol. And it was where I played a superhero. And I had a superhero suit and everything. It was so exciting to actually be like <laughs> fitted for a super suit. I mean, where is my super suit? That was the ongoing joke on set. Um, so <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But that was just the beginning of a string of like, seven shows that I got to work on throughout the end of 2018 and all through 2019. Um, And I booked two films last year as well. And uh, so far I've started out this year with uh, two film bookings. And then one of those film bookings was actually like a two picture deal. And it's just been absolutely amazing. So, you know, the power of vocalizing what it is that you want and then going for it a year and a half later, here I am. And I've got, tons of shows that I've been working on and um, coming out in March, we have amazing stories where I got to play a character that was completely off type from what I normally play. I'm so excited. I've never been more excited for any of my projects to come out. And then in May, Stargirl airs and that's going to be on the CW. And I, um, I got to play a character that recurred throughout the season. So that was such a cool experience. I, um, I felt like I was really part of the cast, part of the family and uh, became like a mainstay. So it was, it was so rewarding, such a beautiful year. And this year is starting out fantastic too. So it's been amazing to say the least. Well, and I think one of the things that has kind of led to, you know, all that you're doing and really becoming successful at is that I think since we've last talked, you've, uh, I think you've changed your thinking a little bit. I think you have, uh, maybe practice more optimistic type uh, habits, if you will, mm-hmm. and just kind of yeah. preparing your mind for success. Can you talk about how that's gone? Yeah. Um, you know, as far as optimism goes, 
the entertainment industry is very fickle. I always kid and I say that the entertainment business is a very fickle mistress. She's my fickle mistress and she loves me when she wants to and she hates me all the rest of the time. And that is just the truth of the business. So you have to get yourself into a mindset where you're not affected by that. And, you know, that comes from being grounded in, in your faith and grounded in something that keeps you physically feeling good about yourself. I do yoga a lot. Um, I do dance classes and I go to the studio called Fuse and, and they have these great just like bounce classes. And, and so I'm staying active. Um, and then I have a wonderful community of friends around me that is supportive no matter what, whether I'm winning or I'm losing, like there's no competition in our group. It's just this wonderful community of supportive people. And I invest myself into that as much as I can and um, make it a priority because that's really truly at the end of the day, the thing that's really going to love you back. I am incredibly proud of you just watching all that you're doing. I mean, it's been so much fun to watch you grow. And and now that you're, I I would call working, you know, semi full time, in the, in, yeah. in the acting community, which is very, very difficult to do, as you know. Um, I, I guess yeah. that kind of leads me to my first topic that I want to talk about, which is, and, and I see this in the pageant world, um, and I, really I see it in, in younger culture these days, is that um, since the birth of the internet and you know, social media really becoming uh, a very powerful movement in our culture, uh, it's the instant gratification type of mentality mm-hmm. that I should be able to get what I want uh, this week, this month, in a year or two, and if not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to quit and try something else because it just wasn't meant to be. That's that's what I yeah. hear from a ton of not just young girls, young men as well. And I think, you know, as we look at you now succeeding in acting and doing all the things that you love to do and being part of, you know, big productions and casts in which you feel like you are a member and not just an extra, yeah. I think the thing that we have to look back and realize is that, you know, you've been doing this for 15, 20 years and you're just yeah. now finally hitting that, you know, peak point of feeling like the flood doors are opening a little bit. Yes, it's um, anything that you do, if you're not willing to get into the trenches and take the good, the bad and the ugly, then you're never going to be able to withstand it when you succeed. In my particular field, you know, when you get to the top, it's just a whole different level of challenges. So you're never free of challenge. You're just asked to perform at a higher higher level and do everything better and you face more scrutiny. So if you decide to take a step back because you failed a few times and you don't want to stick with it, then obviously it's not your path because you don't have, you don't have it in you to stick with it. Or, um, or you just, I don't know, like you're just not interested enough in it. It's, it's one of those things where for me, giving up was never an option. I've always known that I wanted to work in the talent industry. It did take me a little while to figure out what direction that was going to be, primarily because I feel like through everything that I have done, I've really just been discovering who I am as an artist and what speaks to me and what makes me feel fulfilled artistically. And so I've explored all the different arenas of the talent industry. And, you know, even though acting is on the forefront, I'm still doing voiceover. I'm still doing a little bit of modeling work here and there. I do quite a bit of hosting work. And um, acting is just the thing that's front and center because it is the passion that I love the most. But that's Another thing about the business, you've got to have all these other side hustles in order to keep maintaining your life, even after you start to be successful. And where I'm at, where I'm positioned right now, it's, it's literally just a jump off point. And it has taken quite a bit to get there. 
you're right. I've been in the Atlanta market now for, I think, 14 years. And I have been with the same agency for most of that time. And I have been through a number of agents. And um, ironically, the agent before uh, the one that I have now, um, she left the company and then this current agent came in and, and he completely changed everything. But as I, when the, you and I had that conversation um, just prior to for the last podcast, um, she had told me as I was trying to make the switch from hosting over to, to acting, her exact words, uh, she chastised me, called me one morning um, to chastise me for declining an audition for a TV show, just a like a reporter role on a TV show. And I was trying to change the casting director's opinion of me as an actor. And so she specifically calls me first thing in the morning and proceeds to um, take an hour of her day to chastise me and um, tell me that uh, (laughs) she said, you're not Angelina Jolie. That's not the path that was carved for you. So stay in your lane and be really effing good at what you do and would not consider me for anything that stretched me creatively, did not see me as being able to become anything more than, than the host that I already was. And while there's nothing wrong with the host career that I have, I love that career. It just wasn't what I wanted to do in TV and film. And being a creative, there's always this starvation for growth. And I wasn't seeing growth because, you know, it's like where I'm at, my host work had kind of tapped out. Like I was doing all the things unless I got on with a network and was hosting a show, then there wasn't really anywhere else that could go because I had done all the things. So I was getting bored. So to take that when she left and then whenever Jason, the current agent came in and he took an interest in me and actually like wanted to know my life and wanted to know what makes me tick and how I got to where I was. And um, then my auditions started turning around and I started turning in these really great auditions as opposed to very much like I'm fearful and, and afraid that I'm going to mess up if I don't do everything right, because I don't have a team that supports me and blah, 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 blah. All those insecurity feelings that were going along with it. Um, it all changed whenever I just had one person on my team that believed in who I was as a person and believed that I had the capacity to go the distance. So in that, having someone that supported me and allowed me to take chances and risks, I grew exponentially as an actor. And I look at some of the tapes that I was submitting two years ago for auditions, and I'm like, it's no wonder I didn't book that and didn't book that and didn't book that because that audition was garbage. (laughs) And then I think about how I would do it now with all of the knowledge that I have gained from being on these sets and working with these phenomenal actors where I'm face-to-face with A-listers, you know, and I'm like, I'm playing opposite of them that's a masterclass right there. So it's just a different ball game. And if I had given up whenever that agent told me to stay in my lane, I would never be experiencing what I'm experiencing now. Well, and I think, you know, the, the reason I think this is incredibly relevant to the pageant community in particular, and, and I think you've gone through this is, you know, when you are young and beautiful, a lot of times you do get a lot of great opportunities very early in your life because people yeah. want to do stuff for you. You're beautiful, you know, so there's a lot of opportunities that you get that a lot of people just wouldn't because they don't have that same genetic gift that you do. And then when you finally hit those, you know, moments or chapters in your life of adversity where it's really tough and you aren't getting the things you used to, I think for a lot of people the urge is to eventually quit. Or say, right. oh, well, I guess, you know, maybe it wasn't God's path for me or something like that. And, and at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's an excuse. And, you know, figuring <laughs> out sure. how to get through that adversity and not blaming it on, you know, God's will or something like that 
instead of just yeah. saying, let's suck it up and figure out how to get through it. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would say that um, one of the gifts that acting has given me is that it took me out of the space of having to be beautiful. And it was the most freeing thing that I've ever experienced. So, you know, what I would say to the girls that are walking through that is to be brave enough to embrace not being beautiful or um, not putting your beauty as the number one thing of value that you're putting out into the world be something more than just your appearance. Because when you do that, you find all of these beautiful colors of humanity that exist within you. And then when you start putting that out there, people really will pay attention to you and you build a foundation on something that is not so a fleeting because our appearance is definitely fleeting. You know, I'm approaching my 40th birthday and I think about it all the time. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm getting older. And thank God for good genetics because I'm still playing younger. Um, but at some point, like my gray hair is going to be out and everybody's going to see, okay, she's an old lady. <laughs> and you don't get the kind of attention that you once did. And it is an adjustment. It's definitely an adjustment, but you just have to find ways to, show other parts of yourself because we're all really rich people, you know, like we have a lot to offer and a lot of life experiences and those life experiences are what actually touch other people. Um, we live in a society where it's like Instagram, everything, everybody, everybody, everybody wants to be beautiful. Everybody wants to be an Instagram model. And that's, that is just such a, um, a fleeting thing to pursue. And since everybody is doing it, it's no longer like super cool. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like this elite thing to be, um, to be a, a beauty queen, but everything has changed since I was, it was Georgia. Like we live in a different world now. And um, because it is so prevalent, I, I was on um, last week and I was listening to some of the guys talk about these Instagram models and how they're just so, turned off by it because they're they're like show me something that's modest make me use my imagination like people are actually wanting to see more wholesome content and so that was encouraging for me because I've never wanted to lean into that whole like sexuality first and all that it's just it makes me feel slimy so um I think there's a turn happening in um, what people want on social media but also people will value you more and you should want to be valued for more than just your appearance. So I say lean into every side of who you are and allow people to see that because that's when you start connecting with people and actually having the ability to make a difference in the world. I'll expand on that Instagram stuff here in just a few moments. But I, you know, I think getting sure. back to the journey, um, you know, I've read tons of studies and, and most of them were done, you know, to be quite honest, on men, but that most men do not succeed at their, even their, their best points in their life until they hit their 40s. Now, you and I are, are in our okay. 40s now, and if you would have told me at 20 that it would take me, you know, as long as it has to get to where I'm at now, I would have probably been like, I, I got to find a different <laughs> career path or something like that. Um, but probably yeah. the best, best analogy I can give is, uh, and, and it relates uh, just a couple of months, of my, uh, a couple of months ago, my buddy and I went to, we climbed a 14er here in the Rockies. And wow. we, if anybody's climbed a 14 or it takes about five hours. So it's three hours up and then two hours back down. Cause it's obviously faster coming back down. And as mm -hmm. we were, you know, we started off at dawn, so it's dark and you start going through the woods and then you're working your way up. Well, you break through the tree line and then you're like an hour, hour and a half in and you get to what appears to be the top. And I'm like, man, mm -hmm. we're, we're flying. 
And this guy who was a professional hiker that was right by us, he goes, no, that's a false peak. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it looks like the top, but he's like, wait till you get up there. So we get up there and it plateaus off in the middle of the mountain. And then there's an entire another half of the mountain. And it's like, no, you got a long time left. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And that's kind of how life is in terms of your career mm-hmm. and just growing is at 40. I literally feel like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at the plateau right now. Like there's an entire another half of the mountain to climb that I didn't even see all these years. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm almost starting, not starting over, but just like I've just completed the first chapter. That's true of um, non-traditional career paths for sure. I know that people in the corporate world, the corporate world, they tend to have like a ladder that they're climbing and they, you know, by the time they're 40, they can be at the top of the ladder. But for people that are in um, industries that are creative or um, entrepreneurs, there are so many hills and valleys. And like you said, plateaus where you think, oh man, it couldn't get any better than this, or oh man, it can get any worse than this. But the exciting thing about it is that everything could get much better at any point in time. It could also get much worse at any point in time, but that goes back to being able to weather the storm and sticking with it. Um, the only way you can ever experience the peaks is if you stay with it in the, in the low times. Um, sometimes I'm thankful for the plateau because it gives me a moment to rest and just kind of get get a good visual about what's coming next, where I've been. Um, And, you know, hindsight is really great because you can look back at the work that you've done and see it through the lens of progress as opposed to I'm on this grind, I'm on this hustle, but look at it more like where was I when I started out on this path and then where did I get to? Okay, now I'm resting. It's like you're in the middle of a mile, mile run and you take a little breather at the half mile mark so you can look back and then you can really develop a plan for where you're going and be strategic about it and, and also like be flexible in how you get there knowing that there's going to oftentimes be things that knock you off the path and you have to change your trajectory. So it's really important not to be too rigid in that. Well, and I think the gift of hindsight is always 2020. And, you know, we have the gift of, you know, 20 years of hindsight in a career. And I think the one mm-hmm. thing that you you hate to hear when you're younger, but, you know, I'm going to say it because everybody listening is younger than me, or at least I believe <laughs> most of them are, is that you don't get to where you get to and become successful because just because you wanted it and you worked for it. You get there right. because you also went through the incredible valleys and failures and obstacles that made you better. You grow the most when you're in those moments of failure and desperation mm-hmm. and like, I don't know what the hell to do. And you get on your knees and you're like, God, help me. That's when he does his best work in your life to get you prepared for the road ahead. If you don't go through yeah. that, you're not going to be successful. I don't care what you want to do. I don't care if it's modeling or if it's acting or whatever. You're not going to get there if you don't go through some moments of 1,000% humility where you literally feel like I've got nothing but God to get me through this. You know, if you think about that in terms of storytelling, everybody loves a redemption story. And the stories that people tune into the most is like the hero's journey. It's that human condition where we're fighting and fighting and fighting. If there's no fight, then there's no payoff. So it's actually such a beautiful process. The struggle is a beautiful thing. And you have to look at the struggle as if it is um, like going to the gym. You know, it's a workout. It's just making your muscles stronger because wherever you're going, what you're enduring is usually preparing you for um, the hardships and difficulties that are going to come when you get to the level that you want to be at. Well, I wanted to talk about what you were mentioning earlier was uh, kind of the the whole Instagram thing. Um, Obviously, today Mm -hmm. in the current world that we live in, Instagram's number one. I mean, it's it's the big one out there that I think most people would consider the main channel that they communicate on. 
Um, hilarious little side note. Just the other day, I was looking through some old boxes down here in the basement. And I found some of my old reels and some of my old stories oh. from when I did the news. And one of my feature stories that I did for a sweeps period was in 2004, when Facebook was first coming out and parents really didn't know what it was, but a lot of college students were starting to jump onto it. I did a feature story from the parents' perspective of what is this new thing called Facebook? And I'm laughing oh at it going, oh, my God, how far have we come? I mean, am I that, am I that old? But it was only, what, 15, 20, 16 years ago. And so, yeah. you know, now that, you know, it's evolved into a, a much, uh, I, I would call, abbreviated form of communication and more visual form of communication in Instagram, um, what you were saying about the guys earlier and saying, you know, I, I don't want an Instagram model. I want something else. I can guarantee you it's the same on both sides, because when I talk to a lot of these younger girls, they'll all come up to me and say, hey, Tim, can you help me find a good guy? And they're like, yeah. I just can't find a good guy. And I'm thinking, well, no wonder you can't find a good guy. They're all faking it. They all live this fake life. And then when you meet them, they don't know how to communicate with you. They can't look you in the eye. They have zero confidence because they thought the pictures of their muscles and underwear on the Internet was what was going to get you to go. And then, you know, when you guys have a conversation at dinner, it's like, hey, how you doing? Like, I, I, well, uh, if you even make it to dinner. <laughs> I know, exactly. Man, life is so real. <laughs> It's a joke. Like, you know, there's no, like, people don't know how to communicate face to face. No, no, it's terrible. You know, that's something I, you know, I got divorced four years ago. And before I got married, there was this normal environment of meeting people at the grocery store or at the coffee shop or at school or wherever you are and just striking up conversation and having very real human moments and being like, Hey, I like this person. I would like to sit down with them and get to know them better. And so that was the norm. That was what I was used to. So I, I get divorced and I get into the dating world again. And I was horrified because it's, it is such a monster. And you know, the, um, the dating apps are also terrifying. I've been on a couple of them and I last about a week every time I try it. <laughs> so I've completely given up on that. Um, but whenever you do meet people, because I did meet a few people that I met on dating apps, like actually like go to coffee. And that became the thing. Like I wouldn't go to dinner with people. I would only meet them for coffee in the middle of the afternoon for one hour. And that was all I was going to invest in it because it, it's such a different perspective of someone when you see them online versus who they are in real life. And I found that there was no person that I met on the internet that I connected with or felt like I would have ever considered dating them if I met them in real life first. And so it was just this, oh, it was just such a bizarre experience. And I, I think about it now and it's like, if I don't meet somebody in person first, I'm just not gonna, not even gonna try. It's not, not for me. Well, and why do you think those dating apps are so popular? I mean, number one, it's because a ton of people out there are lonely because they live on their phone mm -hmm. and they live on social media. And so they're not interacting with other people outside of technology, number one. So you don't have that, you know, yeah. in-person communication, which you talked about earlier, having that community of people around you is so important. Um, and then number two is you don't know what you're getting. I mean, right. you can jump on any app and be like, oh, he's hot. She's hot. Oh, let's Oh, I definitely <laughs> want to talk to them. That's nothing like Back right. before, okay, so I, I'm totally, I'm going to age us here, but back before <laughs> Facebook and the internet really became prominent there in the early 2000s, back when you and I were mm -hmm. probably dating early in our lives, before I met my yeah. wife, most of the time, any girlfriend that I had, I met when I was out with a group of people. 
And somebody yeah. would, you know, you'd meet somebody and be like, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And then you'd, you know, just chit chat over a drink or maybe lunch or you guys were at an event together. And it was just like you you clicked. There was chemistry. Mm-hmm. Chemistry mm-hmm. Te- technologically is it's I mean, it's not real. There's no truth. No. Like you can't say I have chemistry with somebody I'm DMing on Instagram. Are you kidding me? No. That's just not meeting no. somebody. And if that's the life you're missing out on real life, people, if that's the way that you're trying to live right now and it. I see, yeah. you know, when I go to a pageant all the time, I remember I'll, I'll be sitting in rehearsals in the middle of the afternoon and we'll take a break and I will look down and every single girl in the entire pageant is in all seated in the first three rows of the theater. Every single one of them is staring at their phone, not talking to the other one. And I'm like, yeah, what the hell have we come to? I mean, yeah, I, I think we're missing so much in terms of community and just the value of that in-person communication, face-to-face contact, and just feeling and understanding the presence of another human being. Absolutely. Yeah, it's critical for social development. You think about I, everybody's on their phone, and then there is a bit of awkwardness that happens. Like social anxiety and awkwardness, it wasn't so prevalent whenever before all of the social media stuff came up. And, you know, now I find conversations can be forced because people don't know what to say if they're not protected by a screen. Um, I've made it a habit. This is something that I've I've really uh, been intentional about. And some of the girls in my circle have been very intentional about this with me. Whenever we're together, I just put my phone in my purse and I don't look at it until I'm on my way home or getting in my car before I leave. And it's so nice because just removing yourself from all of the noise, all of that background noise that's going on in the world and focusing on one singular thing, which is connecting with another human being in that particular moment. It's so valuable and it makes you feel so good and fulfilled. Like I leave time with my friends feeling on top of the world and so just so happy and supported and like I can do anything. Like I feel like a real life superhero because that is, um, it's kind of like a superpower, you know, just being able to disconnect and being okay with disconnecting. One of my friends, I admire this about her. She'll just go dark. She'll like check out of social media and she'll make an announcement. She's like, okay guys, I'm not mad at you. I'm just off of social media for like the next two weeks or indefinitely or a month, whatever. And she's also the kind of person that will just be like, okay, I'm tired of my phone ringing. I'm going to turn it off and not turn it back on until tomorrow, which is fantastic. I admire that so much. I'm not quite there where I'd turn my phone off and cut myself off from the outside world, but um, it's just, it's just so much more valuable to either take time to connect with other people or to connect with yourself. I think that's another thing that people miss. They fail to connect with themselves and you get lost because if you're constantly looking at the opinions of other people and taking in content, there are, you know, there's content creators and there's content consumers. And most of the people that are on these social media platforms are consumers. And so they're consuming opinions of other people. And if you're not really rooted in who you are, then you become a um, kind of like a hodgepodge of all of these people's opinions and you're influenced by that. And then you you wake up one day and find, I don't really have an opinion of my own. Um, What is it that I believe in? What is it that I stand for? Or, you know, you start to feel strongly about someone else's cause because they feel strongly about it and you follow them and you admire them. There's, there is just so valuable to take time and separate yourself from that. You can really know what your opinions are and how you feel about things. It keeps you calm. It's the thing that I, I love. Like I love to sit down and just get quiet and meditate and, and turn, I'll, I'll put my phone on airplane mode and then I will sit and just be quiet, be still. I will pray. I will meditate. And if, 
if I'm feeling like I need to sit there for 10 minutes, I'll sit there for 10 minutes. If I feel like I need to sit there for two hours, I will sit there for two hours. And it is one of the most valuable things that I can do. A lot of the statements that I put on my vision board come from the time that I sit in my, uh, my prayer and meditation time, because it's, it's the time where I'm really in touch with what it is that I desire and what my spirit is leading me to do. So that's one of those times that's cherished and I wouldn't give it up for anything. Well, and, and as we say that, you know, I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, I mean, if you are listening and you were born uh, 1995 or after, I think a lot of mm-hmm. what we're talking about literally probably sounds like a foreign language because you, you've never you've literally grown up in the culture where this is the norm. Like you don't know anything else. And when I, right. I do my little uh, 10 question uh speed rounds on some of the podcasts, one of the questions I ask often is, what couldn't you live without? And the answer almost every Mm. time is my phone. And, you know, Mm. I think for for most of you listening, if I said, try and do a social media fast for like a week, and for for a lot of you, it's like that, that's like cutting off my left arm. There's no way I I couldn't (laughs) live. And I think that's the thing that it's scary as hell. But I'm telling you, you will experience an entire new level of life if you learn how to do that. Because, you know, whether it's your prayer life or just your mental health, you will learn that silence and just being able to be quiet and listen sometimes is one of the greatest things that you can do to grow, Mm -hmm. to connect with God, to feel like, you know, you're communicating with a a quote unquote higher power, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And if Mm -hmm. you can't put your phone down, or you're constantly just worried about, you know, it's what's the, the FOMO, fear of missing out. If you're yeah, always thinking yeah. that, like, I, oh, my God, because I, I will watch people. I mean, I will watch people that literally get anxiety. I'll watch them set their phone down, and I'll just kind of look at them for a little bit. They can't see me. And I will see them. I mean, 30 seconds will go by, and they'll pick up their phone again and just check, check. Like, I wonder, I wonder if something happened in the last 30 seconds. That's literally the society and culture that we have bred right now. And mm. I, I really feel sorry for a lot of you who are growing up in this culture because it's going to make it really hard as you start to get into your professional career, into life after you're 30 years old, when you get to have a family and have kids. I mean, there are so many things that are so much more important that you will have never learned because all you know is being on phone, being on social media, communicating yeah. in that way, but not knowing how to communicate in real life. And I, it's a yeah. it's a challenge for a lot of girls that get up on that stage. Like they don't know how to communicate with an audience because all they know how to do is communicate with a screen. You know, I wish that FOMO would be replaced with JOMO, the joy <laughs> of missing out. Yes, no kidding. Because it's, it's it's really a joyful thing. Um, I will I will suspend my Facebook page, deactivate it, whatever. Um, and I'll do it for like a week at a time, two weeks at a time, just because I don't even want to be tempted to go on. I'll keep my Instagram unless I'm doing an Instagram fast, but I've deleted all other social media. Um, I do have a LinkedIn page just for work every now and then, but otherwise I'm not, I'm not really like super active on it. And I find it to be so liberating every time I hit that deactivated or deactivate button, <laughs> because I'm just like, Ooh, you're not going to know what I'm doing. No, and, and even though I'm not posting, but it's, there's something super sexy to me about doing everything in silence. And then whenever you're ready and you've done the work, then you can come forward and be like, Hey guys, this is what I've been working on. And here's the product. And if you want to share the journey, cool. But like, I don't need to share what I'm eating every day. I don't need to share every little detail of my life. And I certainly don't want to see it in everybody else's life. It's information overload and it wrecks your ability to do uh, deep work and have real um, uh, extensive thinking. That's something that, that was the thing that actually turned me on to taking social media fast 
was I, I used to have uh, the ability to do very deep work where I could sit and focus on a project for hours at a time. And I've, I've been working on writing a book. And so I've, I've come into uh, an issue where I can write in spurts and it's really exciting and fun. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm out of things to write about and I'm bored now. So then let me go and do something else. Like boredom has become a problem in the work. And it's, it's a place where I normally would find joy. Um, I also have been blogging for a number of years, so I've gotten used to writing in shorter spurts. So that has kind of changed the format of how I will do the work. But something I've wanted to do was rehabilitate the side of me that can sit and work for an entire day on a project that I'm passionate about. And when you do a social media fast, even a week away from it, because I've done it where I have cut off all social media for a week. Um, I think the longest that I went was like 10 days. And I found that by the end of it, the noise in my head had turned off. And I was just really settled, like internally, I was just settled. I wasn't bothered by people's opinions. I wasn't bothered by traffic, you know, like the things that would make me normally be a little bit cuckoo because in Atlanta, the traffic can be crazy town. Um, and even traffic wasn't bothering me. I just sit there and listen to some classical music and stay calm, <laughs> getting my Zen on on 75. So it, there's just so much value in not being active all the time on social. Well, and, and that leads to really one other thing that I want to talk about, about social media that is, you know, very prominent in today. Like this year, this mm -hmm. time, it's just going on. And that's kind of the, um, you know, there's a couple of different names where it cancel culture, uh, mob culture, yeah. intimidation culture of if I express my opinions or beliefs about certain things and, you know, some people don't agree with it, um, it's the attack culture, you know, of the people that yeah. live behind a keyboard or the live behind, yeah. you know, the keyboard on their phone in which I've had uh, scenarios in which, you know, I'll share an opinion about something and somebody will, you know, say online, you know, that's a bunch of bullshit or you don't know what the hell you're talking about or that's hate speech or whatever. And I mm -hmm. will see that person at an event. Maybe it's a pageant, maybe it's not. And it's amazing that when you see them in person and look them in the eye, it's like they're terrified. They're shaking. They're scared. Yeah. It's like because they don't have a keyboard anymore. They can't hide. They actually have, yeah. you know, when, when you're able to do things online and make comments or talk about things, there's no consequences to your actions. Whereas mm -hmm. it used to be if you said something, you face the consequences, whether you got punched in the face, whether, you know, you got <laughs> reprimanded, whether you got arrested. And, you know, this this ability to hide behind technology, um, number one, has made weak people way too bold and then strong mm -hmm. people way too silent because, you know, now mm -hmm. if you, you want, you feel the need to share truth about something like just as an example, you know, if you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, get ready for the flood of hate speech and this and that. It's just one of the scenarios. It's just like people can't share what they believe anymore. And it's terrifying mm -hmm. because it, it creates a uh, a culture where we can't go out and just share things. You know, comedians aren't even doing specials anymore because they're so afraid that they're going to offend the world that, you know, even some of the yeah. biggest comedians in the world, Steve Harvey, I've even heard talk about it, where he won't do big shows anymore because he's like, I, I'm just so tired of hearing all the hate from anything that mm. I say. Do you deal yeah. with that in the acting world? I haven't dealt with the cancel culture so much as I've dealt with bullying. Um, and I, you know, it's primarily because I have my opinions and I don't necessarily feel like they need to be voiced. Everybody has an opinion. Um, I just have never cared enough to get into conversations or um, debates on social media with people about things that, that are, it's really like 
you're speaking to someone that's, that's just deaf to your position because people are so rooted in their own position that they don't care about other people's perspectives. And I value other people's perspectives. So I will listen. I will hear you. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to agree or I'm going to discount what you have to say. Um, so for me, I haven't walked into the cancel culture on the bullying side. People just love to hate people. And I don't understand that. Um, but especially people who are doing well, or even like having the perception of doing well, because nobody sees, nobody sees the warts in your life. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, that's not, that's not what's sexy to put on the highlight reel. People don't see all the ugly people don't see in 2019 with all of the success I had, they didn't see all the tears that I cried. And it's, it's because you do like at every level of your career and every, even in personal life, you know, you, you deal with people that are coming up against you for whatever reason. And it can be jealousy or it can just be like something that you say that rubs someone the wrong way. And they don't take the time to ask you to explain what you mean, you know? So so that's, that's where I've had the experiences, but I don't, I just don't voice my opinions enough when it comes to things that could live in that cancel culture space to have experienced anything in that. One more thing. And look, I think social media in many ways is a, is a positive. I think it's done a lot of good in some ways. There are certainly other yeah. ways where I'm like, it's, it's really ruining culture in many ways. But mm-hmm. this is probably one of the ones that I see the most is that it's promoted a, a culture of laziness. And what I mean by that is, let's say that you're laying in bed on a Friday night at like eight o'clock watching TV and you're like, I kind of feel like talking to people. You can just click, mm-hmm. you know, live and you can go live and, and have a live where people are <laughs> commenting on your live. You don't have to go out and meet people. You don't have to go out and do anything. You uh-huh. don't even have to go out and even try and date or anything like that. You can just <laughs> sit in your bed, lazy ass on your on you know, on your phone doing nothing and you don't have to go yeah. anywhere. And that's terrifying that that's literally like you can do everything from your bedroom at this point. I mean, there, there's not much you can't do from your bedroom in terms of what most people would consider normal life these days. Yeah, for sure. And that's the whole like live stuff on Instagram and on Facebook. I've not embraced that because like I'll see people go live and I'll sometimes tune in and it, it's really interesting to me that people go on there to have conversations because that's not what I would ever think to do if I wanted to have a conversation with somebody. I would like text a friend and be like, Hey, are you around? Can you talk <laughs> and make a phone call or say, Hey, let's meet for coffee. Um, or are you hungry? Let's go grab dinner. That's just my thought process. So this whole world of Instagram live and Facebook live, it's just, it's so weird to me because I personally, like if I were to go on an, an Instagram live, I'd be like, well, um, Hey guys, I don't have anything to say. Well, I've watched these before where people will log on and they'll literally, you'll just see them stare at the camera for like three minutes waiting for somebody to log in and say something. And they'll literally just sit there and stare at it. And I'm like, wow, we have got to come a lot farther than this. This is terrifying. (laughs) That's so weird to me. Yeah. I, I'm never going to be one of those people that goes onto an Instagram live and is like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for people to show up to have a conversation. I just don't, no, no. If you ever see an Instagram live come through on me, it's going to be because I'm able to share something that's behind the scenes on set or um, like something really fun is happening. Um, like if I'm walking through St. Patrick's Cathedral or, you know, something like okay, that's what I would be interested in sharing in a situation like that and then having a conversation. But I just, it, for me, it's just not something that I would want to do just to be like, hey, let's just talk to friends. And, you know, like for me, there's a lot of people that follow me that I don't know. 
So I, I try in my career, I've had three stalkers and people that have found where I live. Um, they have found out where I work and have literally like come and found me. So I'm very careful about having dialogue with people that I don't know on social media, um, which is another reason that I don't really embrace the whole live scenario because I don't in real time necessarily want people to know where I'm at or what I'm doing. After the fact, it's a different story, but you know, like while I'm there, that's fine. I don't need to know. Look, I mean, for everybody listening, I, I, I've quite frankly, Lisa really enjoyed talking about all this stuff, but I would mm-hmm. honestly highly encourage you, try, try to take some sort of social media fest. I mean, I have people contact me all the time from the Pagadji community. As a matter of fact, I had a USA state title holder contact me today and say, hey, Tim, could you help me with my speaking skills and just kind of communicating with people? And you know, of course I can. Yeah, I can. But I think you know, one of the basic things I'm going to tell you is you got to put your phone down and go out and actually meet people, talk to people, you know, interact yeah. with people. And I, I would challenge you this, and I know it's going to be scary, and most of you are going to be like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Try for a, even a day, just a day. Start there. No phone. Literally shut it off at 6 a.m. one day and say, I'm not going to pick it up until the next day. Now, yeah. I, I know for most of you, they're going to be like, oh, I'm cutting myself off from the world. I want you to see what that feels like, because if you feel like I can't handle this and you have like a massive anxiety attack, that should tell you a lot about where (laughs) you probably need to grow in your life. And I can promise you Mm -hmm. that just like, you know, in Lisa and I's lifetime, you know, we went from not having anything to now having Internet, Facebook, Instagram and living in the culture that we do today in your lifetime, it will evolve again. And I think there will be a day when this stuff won't be around like it is now. And you're going to have to learn how to communicate in that culture. And, you know, whether that's in five years, 10 years, it could be two years from now. You never know. Something will happen in which you're going to have to figure out how to communicate in a different way. And if you've never tried it before and you've got a family and kids and all these things, it's going to be overwhelming and, and debilitating in ways that you never imagined if you just deal mm-hmm. with some of those things right now? Well, you know, some people can't do a cold turkey fast, so to speak, like that. And so right. I would like to offer an alternate solution to doing... Let's do a plan um, B. Plan B. Yeah, yeah. Let's plan B, plan B breaking up with your phone. Um, I, I have found that if you put restrictions on your social media, like after my last social media fast, I, um, I put restrictions where... I wouldn't check my, my social media. Like I could look and see if I had emails because I'll get things that'll come in from my agent early in the morning, or I'll get text messages that come in from my agent or my manager. And I'm just like, need to pay attention to that because it's work. Um, so I don't turn it off completely because it would interfere with my job. Um, but as far as social media goes, I'll, I'll put restrictions where I will allow myself to go on at like, say 11 o'clock in the morning and um, check in and see what all my friends are doing, respond to the messages and then turn it off and not go back on at all for the rest of the day. Give myself 30 minutes where I'm looking at it and it's not like a complete separation. So I'm not feeling like I've removed myself from the world and anything that's immediate. This is always my philosophy. If someone needs me so badly right away, they probably have my phone number. Anybody who could possibly need me in an immediate time frame has my phone number. So they'll call me, you know, like social media doesn't have to be the end all be all on how you communicate and just taking phone calls and having conversations with people that right there is um, it's invigorating. I find it to be 
such a relief to walk away from the screen, put my head up and stop making my neck hurt by looking down and just have conversations with people, whether I'm pacing around my place on a phone call or if I go and meet somebody. So that's plan B. Well, and I, you know, I think there's a narcissism that goes along with social media and, and I'll explain it this way. So one of the uh, New Year's resolutions I had this year was I was going to spend more time in prayer. And so I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. I literally wake up at 4 a.m. to just sit and spend time with God and pray. And I read devotionals and things. And one of the things that I found myself doing early in the year was I might read a devotional and I might read something that I thought was really interesting and really connected with me. I would take a screenshot of it, edit it and throw it on Instagram stories. And I remember sitting there one day and I was like, why just because it connected with me, do I think everybody else needs to hear this right now? And why, do, mm. why does that mean, you know, why do I think people need to hear what I have to say or think just because it connected with me? And I think that's, you know, mm-hmm. what we all fall into that trap of the world needs to know what I'm doing. I got to post an Instagram story or I got to post a, you know, a, something on my feed or people are going to think I f- died and fell off the earth. And <laughs> it's like what you would really go to find out if we actually did real research on it is not many people really care. I mean, you know, no. if, they, if you have them in your feed and you scroll through and you see them, that's great. But they're not actually out searching for what is Lisa doing? What is Tim doing? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. And I know that. I don't nope. I don't. I mean, look at my feed. It's mostly the podcast, and that's it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. hardly anything else outside of a couple of pageant things I post. I never post anything about my personal life, and that's just my yeah. choice. I just It's not that I don't think people care about my personal life. It's just like I don't really care if you feel the need that you need to see it. I don't think people do. I don't think they really care about my child or my wife. I think they just – they're like, well, that's great, whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, your child is gorgeous. Oh, you. <laughs> so you. you you could post photos of that child and you would get an <laughs> engagement. <laughs> I would be the first one to be like, oh, my God, she's so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I agree that people don't really care about what's going on in everyone's life because everyone is so consumed with what's going on in their own life. And, you know, it's just the nature of, of living. Like, you would be consumed with what's going on in your life if there was no social media. So why would it be different on social media? People are definitely consumed with what's going on in their face every single day. So um, to be concerned that people are going to think that you fell off the side of a cliff and died. No, I don't. I'm not really concerned about that if I don't post. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example. So when I go to the pageants, I don't post a ton during the weekend. And, you know, I mean, there are Mm -hmm. tons of really interesting people and things that happen during that weekend that I could probably fill my feed for 24 hours if I wanted to. But I just that's just not me. And I remember when I did Teen USA last year, you know, one of the Miss Universe contractual obligations, what I had, I had to post a certain amount of times a day and I had to, you know, add these hashtags and all. And it was weird for me because I'm like, I don't, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't feel obligated to post. Like, I don't think people really yeah. care. And I did it and I don't think it really did anything, but I did it because mm-hmm. I was contractually obligated to do it for that particular event. Sure. But I, you know, I just don't think, I mean... Unless you are, you know, A-list star doing stuff that nobody else ever does and just looks at your life as this total dream life and, wow, it's just really neat to see me doing X or Y, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But for most people, it's not that way. They don't care what your food looks like. They don't care what you're doing. They don't care what you're thinking while you're laying in bed. It's just, I mean, it's just garbage. (laughs) And it's just filling up time and space for things that you could be spending probably doing more productive stuff. Yeah, that was something that, that comment right there, that was something that I um, really leaned into whenever... I was doing the social media fast and also trying to change my evening habits. So it goes past social media. It's all consumption as far as like media and um, what you're feeding your brain with. And so for me, I'm an actor and I was taking this acting class and it was just 
promoting that we watch all these shows. We needed to watch what was relevant and what was current for, um, for what we were working on in, in town. Yes, of course, because we need to know the tone of the show. We need to know the pace of the show. We need to know the directors. We need to know everything we can about it in order to audition and do it the right way. So there's so much value in that. But I have found I love stories. I tend to fall into the storyline of anything that I watch. So I can't watch something just for tone or directors or like how people, um, how people's reactions are. Like, is it big? Is it small? I, I can't do that. I will drop into a series and I will watch the whole thing in like 48 hours because I get so pulled into the story. And I had done that with a number of series. So I was like a Netflix binger. And <laughs> so I was like, there's so many books on my bookshelf with information that I want to have in my brain, but I've not read them because I'm sitting here watching all of these series on TV. Not that there's anything wrong with watching series, because believe me, like I want all of you to watch amazing stories. I want all of you to watch Stargirl. I want all of you to watch every series that I'm in and help a sister get some mailbox money. So, you know, there's that, but um, there's so much that can be learned just from diving into these books that, I mean, for me personally, that I've collected and um, I have a couple of them just sitting around my house. And so during the time that I intentionally made the choice to not watch as much TV, not do as much social media, and even like I even cut out lunches because I was doing a lot of lunches with friends. I started cutting out lunches and um, choosing to go to like a 12 o'clock gym session. I'd go and work out and take a class, a yoga class or a bounce class or something. And I found that I was finally starting to get through these books and I could focus better. And I found that I wasn't so distracted, but it was hard for me because just like social media, television is an addiction. And I found that I was addicted. I was like, dude, I'm addicted to coffee. I'm addicted to my TV and apparently social media, because every time I take a step back, there is a withdrawal. And that tells me that there's, there is an overindulgence there. So like my goal is to always um, iron out my overindulgences and make it to where it's balanced and it can be considered a healthy consumption level. <laughs> Sounds like I'm talking about alcohol. <laughs> I know, I know, but it is. It is an. I mean, screens in general are an addiction. I mean, when you can look at something and pay attention to something that you know you don't have to move to do, yeah, it can be very addicting. And um, yeah, I think I've 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 probably only binged once in the last twenty years. I remember I was. Gosh, this was probably 15 years ago. I was in the news and I was really sick one week, one weekend, and I had to take a time off work. And I watched the entire Lord of the Rings series in one day, and I felt like garbage. Ooh. I got up off the couch yeah. and I'm like, I feel like crap. I feel lazy. I'm stiff. Like I, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> and I haven't mm -hmm. since. And yeah, I, 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 I know that feeling. And it's like, yeah. I'm worth. I'm worthless. I just sat and watched <laughs> 17 hours of television, and I am worthless. I, I've been there. I know that feeling. <laughs> 17 hours is a long time in one I, sitting. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, hey, look, I appreciate you just sharing thoughts on all these subjects and just talking about it. I think, yeah. you know, it's it's important that we just open up these conversations today and just, you know, I think it's important for a younger culture to hear from a, uh, I don't want to call us an older culture, but a, a culture with some wisdom under we're our the, belts and we're some the, life experience. We're the exactly, exactly. <laughs> so thank you. And it's really, really great to hear from you and congratulations on all your success and We'll certainly be looking out for those television shows. Even if we're not binging, we're still going to watch them. Yes. Yes. 
I mean, I, I wouldn't be mad if in the show notes you put down the episode numbers so everybody could just specifically watch those episodes. <laughs> well, you send me those and I'll put them in the show notes. That's a deal. Oh, you're the best. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear from you. Thanks so much for taking the time and uh, good luck. This is going to be fun to watch you continue to, to Thank roll. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for where everything can go. So we'll see. We'll see what All the future right. holds. Well, thank you, Lisa. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this Friday bonus episode of Life After the Crown. 